How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, uh, I got two incredible guests for the special Halloween edition. Uh, this is coming out on Halloween night. And today we have, uh, I'd like to call my co-host today, Zach Myers of the platinum-selling rock band Shinedown, the guitar player, and the avid fan of all things Halloween, Michael Myers. And today, uh, the other guest, we have James G. Courtney, uh, the shape, Michael Myers, the current incarnation of the incredible serial killer, Halloween 2018, the new movie coming out, Halloween Kills, this October, and obviously Halloween Ends after that. So uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. I love that you said coming out in October, even though this airs at the last day of October. It does, but I kind of want to play it safe because I don't want to assume people are going to see the new movie yet. (laughs) Okay, listen, we got our hopes up last year and it didn't come out, so it's (laughs) fine. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for being here, and uh, I had this idea to do something cool for October, and what better guest to have is the expert in the house, uh, Zach, all things Halloween, and the band himself, uh, James. So, again, thank you guys. Thanks yeah, yeah, for good, having us. A good pairing, man, because Zach knows tons more than I do. <laughs> tons I'm, more. Hey, I'm hearing Chris Nelson nerd out, like, okay, dude, I am, I'm, I'm at the third grade level when it comes to, like, Halloween trivia. And I, I, I want to start by saying that I grew up, I love Friday the 13th, Freddy Krueger. I think I lead more towards the fantasy, sci-fi kind of gore horror. I never really appreciated the Michael Myers Halloween stuff. Um, I saw Season of the Witch out of order, and I was kind of like, this makes no sense. So it kind of threw me out of a loop. And when it came to start doing security for Shinedown, Zach, we watched his movie watch-alongs, Halloween, on bus rides. I really grew my appreciation towards the character and what John Carpenter really put together. Uh, and if you could kind of start this off, James, how did you kind of, the audition and the lead into this character, what in your life has happened at the time where you got the call and, hey, you should audition for this? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, it was an exercise in letting go. You know, um, I had decided, I moved from Los Angeles back to South Carolina to my family. I had um, made the decision that I was focusing on my writing and producing my own films, and the only work I would do is when friends called me. So, you know, I, got a few, I did, did a few commercials, did some stunt coordinating, did a little bit of you know, stuff for commercial work, and I was just, you know, hanging, just, just spending, spending, you know, really, really focusing on, um, I mean, I, I've been gone for 35 years, so my nieces and nephews and my brothers and my parents and my cousins, I was just really immersing myself and being close to the family, and, and um and writing, and, and uh, I get a call from, um, and I, I bought a place, I gutted it, I, I built it out myself with the help of a contractor, but I wired it, I, I tore out the walls and built new walls and hung drywall, so I did all this stuff that I'd never had a chance to do in my life, um, because it's always been so busy, and, and, and I, I just wanted to try it, it was fun. Um, I get a call from Ron Hutchinson, who was the stunt coordinator on the um, Rob Zombie films. And I'd known him for 35 years. We worked together on a couple of films. I never worked for him. I was working, I'd worked with an actor who was a stunt coordinator. Um, but he always meant to hire me. He never did. Um, and 
then I get a call and he says, "Hey, uh, Jimmy, I'm um, doing another Halloween." I'm like, "Awesome, man! Uh, you know, that's freaking awesome. We have a blast." He goes, "Well, he said um, I read the script and I um, I called Malika Todd and David Gordon Green and I said, look, guys, this script is different than any other script that's ever been done for Halloween. It's um, for, for Michael Myers, you're going to need a really good actor and, who's a really good stuntman." And there's not many of those guys around. And there's, there's not many guys who do both. Um, so he said, do you know anybody? And basically he knew one guy, and that was me. So, well, actually, David Gordon Green said, well, he's got to be six foot three, 200 pounds, and he's got to be in his system. He was very specific about what he wanted. And and Ron, it was really my friend Chris Nelson, uh, Nielsen, Christopher Nielsen, who's a stunt guy, um, and his wife Jennifer, who... And when Ron was pondering, and Ron knew me, but Ron was pondering, who can I get? Who can I get? And um, it was it was Jen and um, uh, and uh, Chris that, that brought my name up, and so I got a call. Um, I went down. They were shooting in Charleston. I'm living in Columbia, South Carolina, right now, uh, presently, and um, uh, so I went down to Charleston to be put on tape. And you know, it was a, it was a very standard tape interview. What have I done? What is my psychological approach to a character like this? Uh, they had me move a bit, you know, just to, just, just to get in the feel of the way that I would move. And um, I kind of freaked him out a bit, the, the, the casting director, because um, I talked about the sexual nature of, of serial killing, which people don't really think about. But my first character that I played in a film called Freedom and Unity, which is what it is what it is. The director and I laugh about it now. We knew nothing about making films. We made a we made a film though, and I stayed for a weekend in a um, in a psych ward, a lockdown psych ward, and I had a psychiatrist and an orderly with me, almost constantly, like educating me as to what a uh, paranoid schizophrenic would do and why he murders. And I interviewed people, so I talked about that at the interview, and um, and I was informed, I was educated as the sexual nature of of psychopathic killers and of serial killers. So I finished the interview, um, I literally walked out in the parking lot, got my pickup truck, and I didn't even get out of the parking lot, Blumhouse calls, and they said, hey, are you available to shoot the film? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even get to the freeway, which is two, you know, two miles away, and they called and said, hey, David Gordon Green wants to meet you, can you come back? We the rest is history. I mean, it's just, it was like, as far as I know, they didn't look at another person after they saw me. Now, Zach, is a fan, obviously, of the character of the franchise, between the the Rob Zombie movies too, the one that came out in 2018 with James, were you chopping the bit to see what character or what, what projection they're going to go in and what person that should play this character? Yeah, I, because I knew they were going to have to delve into the actual character. So like what Jim brought up, that's that's kind of, you know, what I, I know he had told me that before, but the fact that they, for the first time ever, were looking for an actor. You know, not just a stuntman. You know, this is forgetting the zombie ones, right? You know, it wasn't just a stuntman's job. There, there had to be some sort of depth for this character. You know, listen, for me, you know, as being a person who is friends with Rob Zombie and knows Rob and toured with Rob, um, you know, they, it's, it's no secret uh, to our fans that those movies left a lot to be desired as far as I was concerned. Um, I, I, they weren't my favorite movies. And, um, I, you know, and, and as, as Jim knows and as you know, I take this. I take this movie serious more seriously than most people do or should probably because it was such a thing in my life that I, I love. So I was very interested in it. I was also, you know, when you erase everything after Halloween one, then you get it, then it gets more interesting. I always, I always said that, you know, 
making it his sister took a little bit of the the lure and a little bit of the kind of ambiguity out of it. You know what I mean? Like you, oh, he's just trying to kill his family members. I'm safe now. It wasn't just this psychopathic guy who was just trying to kill everybody. It was, okay, this person's after a specific person. And so now that when they made it not his sister, it's like, all right, this is more, I liked what they did. And honestly, like in the arc of the Halloween series for me, I mean, that's in the top three or four movies, 2018. Like it was done really, really well. And everyone knows me. I'm a, I'm a harsh critic of, of some of them. So, you know, I, and I thought Jim nailed it in the, you know, in the parts that, the parts that I didn't like, I'd let him know within the first uh, two hours of meeting him, uh, because that's of how serious I take this movie. I, when he, uh, Zach actually saw us in the theater, actually with some of the Fright Rags staff. Uh, the great yeah, we went the Fright Rags people. And uh, we literally, we loved the movie, watched it, talked after. But we after the movie, that one scene, I know I talked to you about this, Jim, already, about the catering one day in the, shine, the Shinedown show. The scene of the truck where you actually carry the body... Uh, he was able to carry your body to the back of the truck after whatever uh, rammed you, injected you. When stuff like that happens in a movie, as an actor yourself, you know what can is not possible because you're the one doing the action. So when you see the movie as a finished product or even a trailer, you kind of sit back and wonder why certain stuff was left in the movie and they didn't approach you to be like, hey, it's just believable. Well, I, I, there's, 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 there's two elements. I have something called the yeah, right quotient. Um, and I feel like, um, and, and usually this, this more pertains to someone who's, who's, who's a master of something or who does something really well. For instance, if, if you guys see the workings, behind the scene workings of a, of, of, a, of a band on tour, or Zach sees a guitarist and he, and he, he catches what he's playing. So you, you guys, you know, so someone who's an expert at something will look at something and, and critique it from a very high level. Um, if, you, if those people buy into what you've done, there's, there's only one or two yeah rights and they, there's some sort of artistic license involved, then generally I think what happens is they tell people like, holy shit, this movie's amazing. This is amazing. Um, case in point is I was writing a screenplay uh, for Tom Benson, the owner of the Saints, on a, one of his jockeys, Randy Romero, and uh, Bill Heller was a, an Eclipse Award-winning journalist. He and I were co-writers. I was at the Saratoga meet when Secretariat came out, right? So here, here's all these journalists in front of me they're talking about Secretariat, and they didn't like it. And what they didn't like was stupid things like, yeah, yeah, we pisses on the guy's shoe. Horses don't piss around the fucking corner. They piss straight. The dude would have to stand under the fucking horse. Okay, not a big deal, but their yeah right quotient was filled to the max. They didn't like it. Well, they're journalists. So they told everybody they knew that they couldn't stand the movie, and the movie didn't do that. So there's that. I think there's the other side of it is, Especially when you're in fantasy and horror, there's a certain suspension of disbelief that you allow for because because we're not a, we're in a fantasy world anyway, you know. So it's kind of balancing that, you know. When I just you know when I sit and I prefer to see something alone instead of with in a crowd like at a premiere. I prefer to see the film first. I hate I hate premieres if I haven't seen the film. I, I I know uh, we had a day off or a show day in Calgary, and again, Zach and I went to a local uh, Comic-Con. We actually Zach met and talked with Dick Castle, Robert England, all these guys. Yeah. But it was really cool seeing Zach talk to Dick because I know how much that character, his portrayal of that, obviously with the Halloween. So it was really cool to see that. But was it a, 
a proper pass of the torch to you and how important was it to actually get the approval from Nick on 2018 to kind of help you kind of kind of uh, maybe make the character your own but kind of be like here here's the proper torch to a guy that can really take make his character his own well he he came in on week three so i had done all the work i'd already prepared you know i was i was already prepared i knew what i was doing um he came in we never talked about character at all we just became fast friends i mean there's certain people like you know I, when i met jack we knew each other boom i mean like there's certain people you just you vibe with and, and so he came in automatically we were friends and um, but we both agreed we wanted to inhabit the same team. That's what we wanted to happen because we wanted we wanted an official passing of the torch, and that happened in the, in the window scene when you know Laurie Strode pulls up, he's in the window when they shoot the when they shoot the out. Same scene. That's me, um, and and it was done for multiple reasons. One because his face is longer, and that mask is it's form fitted. This mask is form. This is a hero mask behind me. Well, it's a screen-used mask, so it's, it's fitted to my face. And so when Nick puts it on, his head is longer, so it, it stretches out the mask, so you can only get long shots on there. When we do the mirror shot, um, not only were we close to my face, but um, they're shooting a projectile with a weapon about a foot and a half behind me, two feet behind me, shooting within six inches of my head. Nick Castle doesn't like to do that kind of thing i get off on it i mean i, I you know i just i kind of like dangerous shit so um yeah so it, it, we we knew we were hoping for it and when we found out what they were able to figure it out we we're like yeah. zach as a fan of the 2018 version what was your best part of back to Bias character uh in terms of your what you walked in before going into the movie what you thought was going to happen and how you reacted to it after the movie I mean, I thought, you know, I could tell, like, I could tell where they put the Nick scene without even knowing. Cause I was like, oh, they, they had him do the head nod. Like, okay, that's really cool. And then you could tell the other one was James. So I thought that was really cool. Like I catch things like that. So when, 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 when James says like the little nod, like that was a cool nod. Like it was the passing of the torch to kind of this person who's doing it. Um, I thought. I thought Jim did it great, honestly. Like I said, I, I the, my main issues were with the more of the 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 writing of of what we talked about earlier, which was I think I was thirty minutes into hanging out with Jim for the first time when I said, "There's no way that doctor picks you up and puts you in the back of the car by himself with one arm. There's no way this happens." But that's not on Jim. Uh, you know, it's um no. I thought he did great, man. I thought he handled the character well. There's 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 been people who have played Michael Myers in the past where it just it wasn't a good fit. You know, he has to move. You know, Jim said it best, man, and I had never thought about this. It has to kind of move like music, right? Like it has to be this fluid. He has a way about him where and also you got to got to remember you're acting, but no one can see your face. So everything is your body, like everything you do comes out. And I think there's a way to present a lot of falsities with that. And I think that, I think Jim did a great job of it, you know, and that's what I told him when we met, you know, I was like, man, I go, it's really cool to see you take this as seriously as he did. And it, and I thought it came off on camera, you know, I, you know, there's, I'm not, we're not going to name names, but there's, you know, cause Jim has to do, uh, uh, autograph signings next to all these guys. Um, there's been, there's been guys who have played that character in the past where it was, it felt lumbery and it felt, you know, like it just didn't feel right. It felt, it felt like a guy who would, who was used to doing stunts and wasn't used to necessarily doing a walk or doing, you know, it, it has to be this, 
you know, he's never in a hurry, you know, it's, it's always kind of on his own time. And I think that that was always, you know, but when he can be brutal, he can be brutal. And I thought that was, I thought that was really good, man. I, I, I was, again, you and I saw it together twice and within a week we saw it with the fright racks people. And then when we did the suicide prevention walk in DC at the Lincoln Memorial, we went and saw it the night before that too. So, you know, I, both times I was, I was utterly impressed, you know, with, without, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good movie and there's been some really not great Halloween movies. So now Zach, you are, you're not a real big fan of gore per se, like unnecessary violent no. blood. It has to serve a purpose. Yes. Was there any death scenes in the latest 2018 version or something that you see in the new trailer for Halloween kills that you're kind of hesitant to say, maybe this might not be Michael Myers because I'm going to say that first woman or the woman that gets her head <laughs> it scared the crap out of me because it was so violent. And I was, it, whatever it was, but it wasn't gory. Right. But so for something like that, James, is it, how do you work with that actress or the, her stunt woman to like, it really felt like you killed her. And so that <laughs> very, that's, what, that's very, what it's supposed to feel like. Very appalling, but really dug well. But I think, I mean, honestly, that's the idea is like, you know, I, I met Jimmy Cagney way back in the day. Um, I, I went to New York and, and to work on a film that, as many films happened, didn't get made. But it was, we were going through the, and Jimmy Cagney's thing was uh, acting is all about standing on two feet and telling the truth. So the simple truth is for me and for every cell of my being, um, that kill is real. You know, it's just in a controlled circumstance where I'm I'm skilled enough at what I do not to hurt somebody, and that's that's a huge part of what we do when we do these kinds of kinds of scenes, fights and violence and kills. Um, but really, I, I think the audience um, there's a wonderful there's a wonderful treatise, Power versus Force, by uh, David Hawkins, MD, PhD, who studied human consciousness, and he used he eventually discovered that he could use deltoid kinesiology or applied kinesiology muscle testing to discern all these different things that you could answer and, you know, questions to. But one of the things he discerned is, so for instance, if you're holding your arm out strong, like really, really strong, someone's pushing down on it, someone's in front of you telling the truth, your arm will stay strong. If someone's lying to you, you'll get weak. Your entire body knows when someone's lying to you. It's just a matter of whether we're going to be adept enough to pick up on the fact that our entire body's going, who's lying to you? Well, it's the same with, with a performance. You know, if you're performing, and, and, and man, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll, I'll throw props to these guys at Shinedown and Smith & Myers, man. If, if, you, if you've ever been to a show, you see how much love these guys get, how deeply invested they are in every freaking note. I mean, right? The audience knows that. They feel it. They know it's truth. They know it's love, and they get it. So, you know, for, for those kills, and especially that kill we're talking about right now, in my being, that was 100% real. And it had to be. And for her, it was, too. When you, before you put the, the mask on and get in character, and then after you get in character, is there something you have to put yourself mentally and physically to prepare for that role in that building? Because I don't I don't picture you as somebody who's throw the mask on and, oh, I'm about to buy it. Like, it seems like a process. Yeah, he can't, he can't do that. I We talked about that. I'll tell, I'll, I want him to answer this, but I have a story of that after. <laughs> well, it's, 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 the space I go to is beyond 3D, beyond time and space. It's based on lots and lots of spiritual work. It's based on lots and lots of psychological, emotional work. It's based on the shamanic work I've done in South America, North America, 
South American shaman doing plant medicine, North American shaman doing plant medicine, African shaman doing plant medicine, all always in a sacred nature. So there's a lot of depth, and and, and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm okay with going to dark places and being and feeling safe. So what I do is I breathe it in. I mean, literally, it's, it's carried on the breath. I breathe it in. I'm I become that. That's who I am. And there's a little part of me that's aware, like if David calls me over to a monitor or you know, Paul, the camera operator, says, hey, I need, I need your head to land right here, or I need this. Those kinds of things I can edit while I'm still in that space. But I ain't talking to anybody, man. I am, I'm in oh. that space. And then when I hear check the gate, you know, when it's the last, the, the last shot of that setup, I hear check the gate, I breathe it out, and about that time, Chris Nelson comes over, pulls the mask off me, and then I'm, then I'm me, 100% me. And David Gordon Green told me in 2018, he told me that he'd worked, he'd only worked with one other guy who went as deep. And that guy couldn't get out of it. He had a psychotic break in the Liverpool psych for two months. And not to toot my own horn or anything, I'm just saying there's a way to do it and there's a way not to. Right. Yeah. I, so when, when Jim came to the, the show in South Carolina, which was his first Shinedown show, I had a mask up there. I had a 2018 mask. And I was, I said, you know, I told John, I go, man, it would be really cool. You know, I'll, Sparky, whenever we have guests, sometimes whether it's celebrity, whoever it is, will come out and they'll have him do a guitar change, like come out and bring me a guitar and switch guitars out as he does every single song. I was like, man, it'd be cool if, if we could get Jim to come out in the mask. And I kept telling Sparky about it. I was like, dude, it'd be, I'm like, don't bug him. I'm like, but it'd be cool if he did it. And then afterwards, Sparky was like, yeah, you're going to have to talk to him about that. He was like, cause he, he had a good reason. And then afterwards I talked to him and it's like, you know, and what it honestly made me more comfortable with Jim and it made me feel better because how seriously he takes this character that I take seriously as well. Like he has to go to a place to do this, per, to be this person. Like he goes to a really dark place to do that and to just do it haphazardly at a rock show and come out on stage like why would you want to put yourself in that place while you're like having fun and you're there to have a good time and I'm like man like I gained so much respect for him instantly when that happened like it was so kind of you know because honestly if you would have had the mask on no one would have known who the hell it was you know what I mean so like it would have only been for me and in a way I felt selfish about it but at the same time like I gained so much respect when he did it now secondly fast forward to me being on set for Halloween kills and I'm talking to my friend for the two or three days that I'm there and we're just chatting and blah, blah, blah. And I never really saw him other than playback monitors with the mask on. I, I on purpose, whenever Chris would put the mask on him, Chris, another good friend of mine, I would walk away. I didn't want to see it. And I, rem I remember the last day I was only there for a half day and I was like, I kind of want to see it. So he, I, I can't really, explain the scene he was in a house and he was upstairs and chris put the mask on him and he he looked down at me and it fucking scared the dog shit out of me i do like and he was looking at me like he can't make a facial expression he's clearly telling me bye like hey thanks for coming out but it's like he looked down at me and like every childhood fear i ever had came back it was dude it was it was it was daytime outside. Obviously we're shooting in a studio on a set, but it was dark in there. Uh, it was mortifying. It was mortifying. Like it, it put me in like this weird mental place. Like obviously the guitar change you're talking about is the second chance when Sparky, whoever comes out. comes out and grabs the guitar. Yeah. 
But he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And then literally five minutes later, Zach walks back to the area and everyone's just dead. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just murdered everybody. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have asked him to put on the mask. <laughs> oh wow, he really went to this place. Uh, to kind of jump piggyback on that, Zach, I know for the last three, four years, see you get ready for a show and your your time before the set and time after after the show, you have to wind down with your certain routine. But is it the same type of feeling for you that once you're on stage and locked in, you have to be a different persona? Or like, how does it feel for you because of that? I think he's talking to you, Jim. What? No, that's talking to you. Oh, that's for me? Yeah. Um, I mean, I... You know, it's the same thing, right? Like Brent always, I told Brent recently about six months ago, cause he's all, I think he finally asked, he's like, you don't like, I don't in the dressing room with 15,000 people outside the, outside in the state, in the arena or the, the amphitheater. And I'm not sitting there like listening to like pump up music. Like I'm not like trying to get myself pumped up. Like, but Brent was like, you like, you'll listen to like James Taylor and John Mayer and like, you'll be like Jackson Brown. And like, he goes, but then like 120 seconds before you go out there, this thing hits. And I, and I told him, and now he like uses this quote about me all the time, which kind of makes me sound like a weirdo, but I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get, this is war to me. You know what I mean? I was a bullied kid. I was a kid that got beat up. I was a kid that was told I was never going to do anything. I was a kid that told by my teachers that I would never be a successful musician. You know, so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not facing 15,000 happy people out there. Like I'm, this is fucking war, man. Like I'm going out there and so I'm not trying to get, waste all my energy beforehand, you know, slapping myself in the face and going, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill Louisville tonight. You know, like. I'm in a, I kind of like what, what, what James says, like I'm in like a, I'm in like a, this kind of calm meditative state. And then when those lights go out, that's the switch for me and it's war and I have no friends. And now granted you see me out there every night, John, like I'm making eye contact with kids. I'm like, I want everybody to have a good show, but it's still a bubble, right? It's still a spacesuit. I'm still, you know, becoming this person because off stage I'm not that outgoing. I'm not that guy that I am on stage. I'm a shy dude, you know. You have that twinkle in your eye where you know just by looking at you you're on stage. You're in a you're in a different zone. And I'm having so much fun, but at the same time I think the twinkle is because I was that kid in the back row. My whole life was that kid in the back row. So I'm trying to make eye contact with that kid. I want to make everybody feel like you know, they're, they can do what I'm doing because they really can. But again, like, you know, when I'm on stage, it's still this metaphysical type thing that I go through to go on stage, you know, and, it, and people can laugh that off if they want, but you know, that's just how I do it. You know, I, but I'm, you know, I, again, I would rather do that than have this guy that's like trying to get pumped up and like lift weights before he goes on. It's like, I don't know, that's, that's fucking goofy to me. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's interesting. They they, uh, they did studies. And I, I think Zach and I, I think we come from the same place. On this. So they, they did studies on regular Army, regular Marines, and then Special Forces guys. So at rest, you know, at rest, a, a regular soldier, will his, his cortisol levels will be low, brain, you know, brain chemistry and brain waves are normal, heart rate is normal. So as they get called in the battle, heart rate jumps up, brain activity changes, cortisol levels go up. Special Forces guys are the opposite. When they don't have a mission, their cortisol levels are up, their brainwaves are skewed, they're, 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 they're anxious. They, they're, they can't wait to, to chomp it at the pit to get out there. 
As soon as they know they got a mission, everything calms down. Cortisol levels drop. Heart rate gets slow. Brain activity gets really focused. And I think I, 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 I would bet dollars and donuts if you tested Zach and you tested me, that's exactly what happens. You drop into that place, that, that place that a, that, a, that a warrior drops into, and you're connected with the universe, right? Now, you mentioned, obviously, the, probably the first actor for this role is actually played as an actor and a stuntman, but when it comes to insurance purposes and certain stunts, obviously you're a stuntman, you can do all this stuff, but will someone like Blue House be like, hey, use the stunt double for the spire scene, or when you punch the glass, use the stuntman? Like, how does it work, and how do they treat you in terms of actor versus stuntman? Yeah, because you got to play Michael Myers, too, so if something happens to you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in 2018, um, they brought in a stunt guy for uh, to do the stairfall. So the actual rolling down the stairs is somebody else. And I've done stairfalls. I can do them. They're easy to do. They also hurt. Like, I mean, you guaranteed you're gonna get a, you're getting cherry boot, right? So they're like, and they came to me and they like, and they're very, very, they're very respectful because they know that I like doing my own stuff and I don't want somebody else doing it. So. Um, they're like, look, we, we really need to, you know, it's in the middle of the show. We can't afford a concussion. We can't afford a broken bone. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? They hurt. The guy's 30 years old. Let him make his bones. Man. Let him. It's all you. Dude. And in, on Halloween Kills, I can tell you they brought in a guy. It's not in the movie, so I can say basically they brought in somebody to jump, you know, about, mm, I'd say about 10 feet on the, on the concrete. But, you know, when you do a jump on the concrete, you're looking at like, 15 takes, 20 takes. That easily could have been a broken, you know, broken ankle or twisted ankle or sprained knee. Um, so they had a guy do that. Ended up not even, not even being in the movie. So um, um, that's it. When it came to the end of Halloween 2018, um, Ron wasn't there. He couldn't make it. Um, there's a another stunt coordinator came in, and um, Tom's a great guy. He's, I'd never worked with him before, and so he didn't know exactly what I could do. Um, so he wanted to bring in a double, and I was like, "No, nah, dog, no, 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 it's my <laughs> you know, fire is dangerous. Fire is super dangerous. It has a mind of its own. You never know what's going to happen with fire. Maybe you can take all the precautions in the world, but I was like, "No, nah, man, it's my show." And then Chris Nelson was like, "Nobody puts that mask down, but nobody. I mean, especially because they're doing it close up on me." And but I live for that stuff, man. I love, I love being close to the edge. I mean. I, I, you know, it's it's like pulling teeth to get to put a helmet on when I ride a motorcycle. I just, I just, I just love the feeling of being close to death. You know? Yeah, not me. That's I, I don't have that same. I'm going to stay as far away from death as I possibly can. Uh, so you're saying so the scene through the bars in the basement, that's real fire. That's real fire. Okay. Oh yeah. We were talking about that on our last podcast because Paul, who does the podcast with us, he's like, I just didn't like the trailer scene, he said, because it, it looked CGI. And I said, I can tell you that was not CGI. I said, because I was, I was on the set. I saw them building the house, the, the, the exterior of the house on the back lot in uh, North Carolina. So I saw, I was like, dude, that was a real fire, man. They set a real house on fire. Uh, dude, I, I, I say, so in the trailer, walking through that house, I'm wearing two Nomex suits, fire, fireproof suits, soaked in gel, which is freezing freaking cold. And then I have a, a hood on, but I've got my eyes, and, and I had to, from the back of the house, I had to count the steps and memorize them because it was so freaking hot. If I had opened my eyes, I would have I blistered my eyeball. 
and I couldn't breathe, I had to hold my breath. I didn't breathe or see until I walked out on the, uh, onto the porch. So you did all the fire stuff at the beginning of this movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything. Oh, my God, dude. Fuck fire, man. Fuck some <laughs> fire forever, dude. We have fire on stage, and we we do this. Everybody will see the show by the time this comes out, but there's fire on the front. We have fire up front now. Nice. So there's there's fire like right next to me as I'm singing. I mean, literally two and a half feet away. And then so in Sturgis, you know, we have two guys, one shooter and then one kind of spotter on the other side of the stage. Right. So if the wind, you know, he Matt's testing wind, he's doing all these things. So if the wind gets too too crazy, he's not going to shoot the fire. So we were in Sturgis the other night. Flame goes off. Wind comes in a little bit. I'm like, dude, the flame. I was like, dude, what a terrible way to die. If you got caught on fire, I kind of like if I had to do stunts and like I know the gel and stuff like I've been in a movie studio where I put some of the gel like on my shirt and lit it on fire and you can't really feel anything other than the heat on the uncovered parts. But dude, no, fuck some fire, man. You're you're a you're a man's man, dude. There's no way I could ever do that, dude. uh, Well, the weird thing is, is I I mean, and both of those fire fire gags are really I had a, a girlfriend who was still a very, very good friend of mine. Um, beautiful, beautiful model. She was the LA girl back in the day, and she's a very talented woman. She used to breathe fire, and she breathed fire once in an audition. It came back, caught the wind, came back. She had 27 surgeries on her face. I mean, oh. fire not to be messed with. And she was a she still is a stunning woman. She had to go through a lot of pain to get back there. But no, nah, man, it's it's not. Look at Kane Hodder, man. Kane was burned badly. Yeah. You, yeah. But I, you know, I mean. That's, it's rock and roll, dude. You got to do it. No, man. I, I like a safer job. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, obviously, we know that John Carpenter, the original, incredible director, incredible legacy, but his music, obviously, is just as equally important. Do you think Halloween would be as successful as today without his iconic score? And James, obviously, in the new movies, he's involved with the music and stuff, but kind of tweaked it a little bit to make it more current. How important is that when you hear the music and stuff on set for you as the character itself? Uh, which one do you want to go first? I'll go James first. Okay. Um, first of all, um, music is absolutely essential to a successful film. I mean, hands freaking down. You, I mean, if you can see a film before it's scored, or even see a film with a temporary score, and then see what a final score is, especially when you have... You know, when you have a, a good music director and a, and a really, really hot composer, wow, man. I mean, the difference is night and day. And, and I mean, it's, it's a component that you can't do without. So um, John Carpenter's score is, is, it goes right to the amygdala. It goes right to the, the part of the brain, the fear center. And you can't escape it. You can't escape it. Good music does that. Good music takes you to a place that you either can't escape or you don't want to escape. And so, I mean, John Carpenter's, I mean, he, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And, I, and, and I'm really grateful that he signed on for all that. But I, in my mind, he's done such an amazing job. Um, other than that, all he did was give blessings to the scripts. He really wasn't involved in, in the making of the, of the scoring, hands down. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that when they showed the original Halloween, there was no music. And he was going to hire somebody to score it, but they didn't have any money. So he scored it. And so you, but you think about that, like 
think about a movie that just gets like you watch it in a test screening and, and everybody's like, mm, this isn't scary. And then what the, the director writer goes in and is like, I'm going to score it. And it's the most horrifying score you've ever heard. I mean, it, it, I don't know if there's other than maybe the social network and a couple other ones that I've, you know, uh, you know, oh, scores are so important to movies, but I'm talking about just some of the best scores ever are in those Halloween movies, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny enough now before we play devil, we use uh, a carpenter score as an intro from 2018 when you're chasing Allison with the big string, the, that thing, that's the intro to devil now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's, it's that. And then it says, uh, then it stops for two seconds and it goes to, um, the classic Donald Pleasance, you know, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. And then the song comes in, but yeah, that dude, that, I mean, I listened to that new, I listened to that 2018 soundtrack, like when I'm working out, like it's, it's, it's so good. And it, like you, like, like Jim said, it puts you in a place, man. It's like, you know, and I think that's what John's really incredible at. And the fact that he's, he, he chose to do these movies this far in, you know, is really cool. Now, when you watch that trailer for the first time, James, are you watching that as a fan or are you super critical of your work and this is what you're showing in the movie? I, I, I really, to be honest with you, I don't like watching myself um, because I'm immediately going into editing mode. I'm, it's, it's very, I don't enjoy my own work. Um, and I wonder, you know, I wonder how Zach feels about it because you know, it has such a deep and rich history. I mean, I'm really, I'm really interested to hear what he has to say because music is so much different than, than in that respect. I mean, I'm really interested to hear what he has to say in terms of how, or Zach, how, what happens when you listen to your music? What's that like for you? I mean, I think it's like you said. I think they're so different, right? Like you, when you do this, you you are hired as an actor, as a stunt man, but at the end of the day, it's someone's movie, you know, that they're making. So you got the best editors, you got the best director for this thing, right? When we do music, it's all us. We're the, you know, we're especially now because we don't even use an outside producer. Our bass player, we do it. We, you know, our bass player has a studio in Charleston. That's our home studio. You know, that's what we do. So I have to listen to my music all the time. You know, I, I you know, I, and I try not to. I try to listen to it. Obviously, I need to listen to it objectively because I need to say, oh, let's change this. Let's change this. You know, but you don't want to wear yourself out on it because, listen, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a Shinedown fan. You know, I love our music. I love the music we make. But. Yeah, it's definitely different. I got to listen to it all the time because I got to say, well, what if we did this? Or what if we tried this? Or what if we tried this? You know, so it's, you know, do I want to listen to it all the time? No. Do I get burned out on our music? Yeah. You know, put uh, this part of me wish I could just do my part and walk away and go, all right, this is this, but I, I'm so close to it. I can't do that. But I can definitely understand like, like what you're saying, like, all right, so put it on like music videos. Like I do not like watching shine down music videos. Like, and they're, and they're good. I think we've done the better, you know, better music videos, you know, than they're not campy and they're not cheesy. And, but yeah, I'm with you there. Like watching my, watching myself is different. Cause I, I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, edit, I'm, I'm post editing when the thing's already printed. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm going, I'm, oh, I could have I done that differently. I could have done this differently. And that'll, you know, I think you're like me in the way of being a perfectionist in that way where it'll drive you crazy. And I'm like, I can't, it's not worth it to drive myself crazy of something that's already printed. It's already out there. I wash my hands of it. Love it. Uh, obviously, 
the pandemic, meet greets and conventions and stuff got altered. I know there's nothing really going on with Shinedown meet greet wise, but I know conventions are starting to kind of trickle in, James. But to take out, not even talk about the pandemic, but how important to you is it to have a fan base that after the first movie has really resonated with you and wants to meet you and take pictures with you? And it must be must be an awesome feeling to really get home. I mean, it's, it's, it's heartwarming. It's heartwarming. It's humbling. Um, it's, it's, well, you know, like, like Zach was saying, you know, like, you look at the real world, you, you see, you know, you see the beauty of it. And this experience, um, especially meeting the fans at conventions, is like little drops of love. Only I get 700 drops of love in a day. You know what I mean? So the thought that people would wait in line two, three, four hours to meet me for a few moments and, and you know, sign an autograph and take a selfie. And so I make it a point to like connect eye to eye. I set the intention in the morning on a spiritual level to connect heart, you know, heart connection, like any kind of spiritual connection you have, any kind of feeling that can happen between. And just, you know, for me, I just set that intention. And then, um, and, and I'm the beneficiary of, of just an amazing amount of love. And so, yeah, I, I mean, sometimes I go, dude, how did I get so lucky? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one thing to do. To do, to play a role or to you know, do the acting stunt thing and to right. play a character and to do it well. I mean, I, I, I'm confident enough in my ability and what I do, um, and that to me is just—it's what I do. I mean, I don't think about it. But this is a whole other ballgame. I mean, to have that kind of that kind of love come at me on a consistent basis. Now, Zach, when you've done the meet and greets, I've seen you actually have to step away behind the backdrop or outside the room because someone will tell you something uh, that's maybe too personal or whatever, but whatever it is, it hits home to you, whether they tell you about their sick kid or something they're going through. Is is that a, is that a job you feel like, as a, one of the four band members of that you that is your job to now listen to these people and do whatever you can to help them, whether it is listening to them or giving them the 90 minutes that night they came to sleep? I think it's both, right? I think that just, just do it. Does a part of me wish I could just go up there and give them everything I have for two hours and that be the end of our relationship? Uh, yeah, there is a part of me that, whether people want to hear that or not. Um, you know, I, I never dreamed of. You know, I'm the biggest U2 fan ever, right? I'm not going to go sit outside Bono's hotel. You know what I mean? Like, no one's a bigger U2 fan than me. But it's like, I don't, you know, I'm just... But at the same time, when you choose to do a meet and greet and you choose to put, put something like that on sale and people pay to meet you, you know what you're doing. So I'm, I'm prepared for it. Um, yeah, I, I get that way. I, the, the, you know, to be, to be completely uh, honest and, and kind of upfront about it, the... Um, Suicide gets me when people bring up somebody in their life that committed suicide because my cousin committed suicide when I was younger and it it still to this day affects my life. And um, uh, sick kids, man, I, I don't, you know, John seen me just break down crying several times and I, I don't like to do that in front of people because, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let out a secret here. Um, I don't want I don't want to deal with their emotions and that may sound rude, but like when they tell me if their kid, you know, got sick or did uh, died or something like I'm going to go cry about that because I don't, that's an unfair thing to me. Right. You know, like, 
you know, so like, I, but like at the same time, like, I don't want to, I don't, I already have enough emotions going on. I don't need their emotions too. You know what I mean? And that to some people, I think a lot of people will get that and understand where I'm coming from. And a lot of people are probably going to think that I'm some rude asshole that is just cold. It's not true. Cause I'm, it's, it's making me cry. You know, I'm the one that's kind of got to tuck behind the curtain for a minute, but it's like, you know, those things get me, man. When people talk about sick kids, you know, or cancer, you know, like I'm not, those things, there's, there's too real and they're too close to me to where I, I take them very seriously. And the other side of it is the anxiety. You know, I've, I've, John has seen me straight up walk out of meet and greets, you know, because I can't deal with, I can't deal with that. You know, like I, you know, I almost want to put up a sign when we do meet and greets that says like stripper rules, like, like I'm allowed to touch you. You're not allowed to touch me, you know, cause I, I, you know, anxiety so new to me, man. It's, it's, it's three years old, you know, 2018, I had my first kind of dealing with it and you know, got diagnosed with panic disorder. And so meet and greets are hard for me now. They never were before. Um, I think where, I think what James does, I could handle a little more because in those atmospheres, like in our meet and greets, you know, I sit there and talk to a person for five, six minutes every single time. I feel like I'd be more okay with a convention. Cause like most of the time you're just signing stuff and then you talk to the person for a couple seconds, get to know them a little bit. And then it's, that's it, you know, and then you got to take a picture at the end, you know, they do picture lines like we do. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'd be a little more okay with the convention side. Our, our meet and greets are very involved, man. They become, they become therapy sessions real quick for a lot of people, which listen, that's why we do them. And we want people, you know, again, I know, you know, I knew what I was getting into at the end of the day. James, first time you met Jamie Lee Curtis, was there, what was that meeting like? Or what's the rules, especially for the 2018 uh, Halloween movie where she's coming back after all this time as Lori? Did she treat you as Michael Myers? Or how did they make it where it seems like this whole time, this character yourself has been chasing her throughout this whole length of time? Well, when she showed up on set, again, we've been shooting a couple weeks by then. Um, when she saw, she stood up and said, I walked out of my dressing room. She walked out of her. She marched right over, extended her hand, very businesslike. Hi, Jamie. You know, and, and, um, and we had a very, very short conversation. And I, um, I said to her, I can't remember if it was then or it was in the, in the, um, in the hair and makeup trailer, hair trailer, um, that I said, um, look, I'm going to give you all the space in the world. I, uh, um, you know, I, you have things to deal with on, on, as your as your character that I can't possibly know. So I think it's best that, you know, I'm just I'm just stepping aside. I'm I'm in the shadows. Um, you know, I'm there if you want to talk to me about something, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna communicate. So she was like, fair enough, no big deal. And then we didn't talk for quite a while and then finally we had a big fight scene that actually didn't show up on 2018 we reshot the ending but it was a big it was a big fight scene and um so she was at the opposite end of the trailer getting her hair done and i was getting my beard trimmed and all of a sudden she gets up marches over and she goes okay let's talk about this fight thing and we just had a very business-like conversation and it was over and at the end of it after the movie was done she was about to leave we took a picture together and um and then she texted me, um, said, you know, I'll see you on the next one, whatever. And then we didn't see each other all on kills. Our schedules were completely different. So I never saw her. I was supposed to see her on the very final day when, you know, when they bring in the big monkey muck photographer, you know, big celebrity photographer, and they do all the 
all the publicity shots and everything. Um, we were supposed to do it together, like we did, you know, like when you see the poster with her face yeah. turned this way and my face, you know, like when you see us together, Dan Winter shot that. It was brilliant and, and an amazing photographer. And we had a very intimate time with that. I mean, we were, you know, but we were, we were in a different space um, to create that, to create the, 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 but we didn't talk. And we, we talked a little bit, but we didn't get down into, into deep conversation like friends would. And then after um, Halloween Kills, she shot me a text and said, man, I'm so sorry I freaking missed you. Like, what they did was they decided, they decided to shoot us separately and, and stitch us together with, you know, the CGI. And I was disappointed because I thought, well, it's over. I get to see her and, you know, we're going to have it. But then we texted back and forth and we both agreed that probably not a good idea for us to be good friends until after Halloween ends. Because we both respect each other a lot, and I just, there's a million things to respect about that woman. I have just tremendous respect yeah. for her. So, um, but then she, out of the blue, um, she called me, you know, a few days ago because I'd seen the film. She hadn't seen it yet. She was about to see it. She's going to Venice. All these things we needed to talk about. So, we had a very beautiful conversation. And but I but I think that the depth and breadth of any friendship there is going to be after we finish out. Right. Now, Zach, in your ideal world, obviously you'd love to be in a Halloween movie, but how would you want to be killed by Michael Myers? What is your... (laughs) I don't know. Give me your favorite death scene in Halloween 2018, and then tell me how you'd want to be killed by James Cameron. I think my favorite death scene... Okay, uh, not my favorite kill, but my favorite death scene... um, the the motion the motion light backyard oh, is gate. horrifying <laughs> horrifying the gate i don't like now that's not my favorite death because i again i'm not a gore guy so the gate through the chin is not my deal I, I love it in the movie and it obviously has its place um i don't know man i think the i think the killing of the of the the podcaster the female podcaster because you don't see it it's terrifying, but you don't actually see that death, and that's pretty. And then the this uh, the runner up for me is obviously the the head head bang on the back of the couch banister uh, night because it's just so quick, and you're like, what the hell just happened? And then it's not gory, you know. Uh, yeah, so I think those are the. And how would I like to? I don't know, man. I don't know what. I don't know in a movie what character I would play to be killed if it was to be a random killing. Um, I, but definitely, you got to go with the knife, right? You got to go with the classic, classic knife or or, or, or the neck break or something. I don't want to be set on fire. I don't want to be. I don't want a chain around my neck. I, you know, knife hand to hand. That's what I want. That's what I'd want. The what bothers me, I think, the most about that woman whose head gets smashed. Is that <laughs> you keep bringing this up. If you could do a movie. Like not even movie on her life leading up to that moment. She probably put the turkey in the oven, got the mashed potatoes going, got the TV on, and then here's a guy who walks in there, no She doesn't even know he's in there. No, I'm just like that's the best death because you're not even scared you don't even you don't even see it or feel it coming i love that john wants to do a spin-off movie on that lady (laughs) he wants a character development story just on that lady alone she actually slept with michael 30 years prior Uh, (laughs) so anyway guys this has been uh awesome i know obviously shinedown's on tour right now i know we have dates coming soon in the new year uh they actually got the new album 
Uh, obviously, we got Halloween uh, Kills coming in October, October 15th. Uh, where can people find out about uh, you, James, if they want to uh, check out your socials or to see how you're doing? Um, you know, that's that's super simple. Instagram is just James Duke Courtney. Um, you know, our Facebook fan page, James Duke Courtney, at, uh, Twitter. Simple stuff. Easy, easy, easy enough to find. Love it. Exactly. Obviously, uh, all these people know where to find me. Come on. Uh, my Instagram is Z Myers official. And so is my Twitter and my, my, I have a public Facebook and a private Facebook. Do not have my private Facebook. Uh, you weirdos. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, and, and John and I will probably have to, we'll probably have to be together for Halloween kills. I feel like we have to, we'll have to watch it together. Yeah. Well, I think we'll be ending in Florida. So I definitely, I definitely, I think it'd be, When's the when when well, this was coming out on Halloween? But when's the release, James? Fifteenth of October. Fifteenth. I'll still be. I'll I'll be leaving Orlando then because I'm staying down there for Halloween Horror Nights. We'll still be here at the East Coast, so we'll just meet up. Yeah. All right. Cool. So we'll check out that woman in the kitchen. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you for this. And, uh, yeah. Lots of fun, this. guys. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.